0: You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California.
1: Who are we? And why are we here? And I mean that not necessarily just as, uh, you know, like an existential question as an individual, you know, why am I alive on planet Earth? But who are we as a community? Why are, why do we gather here? Why did you show up this morning, and why do you show up? You know, I was going to say every week, but most of you don't show up every week. But why do you show up here on a regular basis? You know, gosh, I didn't mean to make it make it sound like that, like a guilt trip. Oh gosh, what a Freudian slip of a pastor to do. Um, but uh, I want to talk about our our vision and values for this morning, and I want to begin by saying this: it's important to understand this about this crazy little community we have, one of the things that makes us really unique is the fact that we do not center ourselves here around a set of shared beliefs and doctrines like many churches do. Instead, we center ourselves around a set of shared values and practices. Let me say that again. What makes this one of the things that makes this community really unique is the fact that we do not center ourselves around a set of shared beliefs and doctrines, but around a set of shared values and practices. And that, there's some similarities between that, but there's also some very significant differences. Many of us grew up in communities, meaning churches, that centered themselves around a set of shared beliefs and doctrines. And if you did not adhere the beliefs and the doctrines of the church, you could not receive communion, you couldn't be a member, you know, you were kind of, you could attend, you know, allow you to attend and sit in the pew and, you know, put some money in the, you know, in the coffer or whatever, you know, but you couldn't really be a part of the community unless you bought into the theology, right? And that leads to exclusivism, that leads to oppressive ideas, that leads to hypocrisy, that, it leads, that leads to some really bad things, in fact, right? For example, many churches that center themselves on belief and doctrine hold in their core this idea of biblical inerrancy. This belief in biblical inerrancy, which is a doctrine that says that the Bible is perfect and without error in its moral and theological teachings. And it is the ultimate authority over everything in life. And with that belief, many churches use that to exclude and oppress LGBTQ people, right? Women, those from other faiths, right? You see how that works? Um, and so I believe being a community that, is, that centers itself on a set of shared values and practices makes us a, a healthier community than a community centered around beliefs and doctrines. There is a plethora of different beliefs in here, even in conservative churches, to be perfectly honest. There is a plethora of different beliefs present, even in your conservative evangelical church. plethora of different beliefs about God, the Bible, the metaphysics of God, the nature of the divine, you know, how you interpret the scriptures, this story, that story. There is always, even in conservative, so-called unified belief settings, a plethora of different beliefs being held. But it's healthier to build a community on, uh, on a set of shared values and practices than, than beliefs, because beliefs are you know, they're, I don't know how to describe them quickly, but it, you know, it, it's, it's not a firm foundation. It's like building your house on sand to build your faith on belief. Build your faith on values, the values of Christ. Love, justice, compassion. Those are our shared, our core shared beliefs or values here. Love, justice, compassion, empathy. Um, and in order to really uh, talk about our values and practices here this morning, I want to read to you from what it says on our website. Uh, you will not find anywhere on our website or any church publication a statement of faith or, or doctrinal list. We, we do not have that here. That shocks some people. How can you be a church and not have a list of beliefs? But again, we don't have that. We have a, we have a list or a statement, I should say, of values and practices. And here it is, right off the website on the About page. We believe that Christianity is not, I love how it starts with we believe, right? There's some overlap between values and beliefs, and we'll get to that here, but <laughs> it's like, Aaron, you've you completely destroyed your argument already. All right. We believe that Christianity is not about a set of emotive beliefs, certainty, feelings of certainty. We believe Christianity is not about a set of emotive beliefs, but about a way of living in the world. For this reason, we don't have a traditional statement of faith or a list of doctrines you must confess to be in communion with us. Instead, we center ourselves around a set of shared values and practices. And they are missional, relational, and thoughtful. And those will be up on the screen. Missional, relational, and thoughtful. Missional. We are a community that cares deeply about matters of social justice. We believe the gospel is good news to the poor and oppressed. And that as Christians, we are called to social action. Relational. We are committed to building relationships and finding time for each other. We believe that our lives are enriched by friendships and shared practices. We gather on Sundays to sing, meditate, pray, study scripture, dialogue, and receive the Lord's Supper. However, there's so much more going on than just this weekly gathering. Check out our community page for a list of groups you can get involved in. Again, this is off the website, so yeah, it sounds a little… Check out the community page. Uh, Thoughtful, the third and final value in practice. Whether you're a Christian or just someone looking for a loving and open-minded church, Central is for you. We strive to ask the hard questions and not give easy answers. We believe there are many ways people encounter the divine and sacred. Come explore with us." End quote. There you go. There's our values and practices right off the good old website. And just because we center ourselves around a set of shared values doesn't mean, obviously, as I said before, that we don't have beliefs here. And it doesn't mean that our beliefs do not inform in some way our values and practices. In fact, they do. <laughs> it is our belief, meaning the leadership's belief, that Christianity is fundamentally about a way of living in the world rather than a set of beliefs. It is our belief that, what it, that Christianity is actually about values rather than beliefs in the, you know, the metaphysics or the supernatural. Christianity is about a way of living in the world. It's about adhering to a set of Christ-like values of love and justice and empathy. You get that, hopefully. All right? So beliefs and values overlap. I'm not saying that there's, I'm not trying to draw the stark distinction between them. They overlap. Okay? Our values and practices are informed or they rise up out of a set of deeper convictions that we have here as a community. And those convictions that inform or that germinate our values and practices are convictions we hold about the importance of community and namely the importance of spiritual community. And that's really what I want to talk about here this morning. One of our convictions here is that there is a desperate need for community today in our world perhaps more now than ever before. As our culture, as our society becomes increasingly fractured and, and lonely as a result of the speed of our lives, the, uh, the hyper individualistic nature of our culture, and, and the technological nature of our culture, whereby you can essentially immerse yourself in entertainment and media completely, and, and not invest time with others, because of the nature of our culture, I think community is more important now today than ever before. And you think about the amount of depression and anxiety and loneliness that's out there today. How people, despite the fact that the world has become a smaller place as a result of technology and the internet, despite that the world, this, the Western modern world, I think is a lonelier place to live in than it ever has been as a result of that. And so as a result, community has become more important. But community looks different than it ever has. You know, th- As a result, I think what we're seeing today or all these niche little communities popping up. And by that I mean, you know, like your Facebook meetup groups for hiking or yoga class or you know, the online gaming communities. Some of you are part of these adult sports leagues. I I was a part of an adult dodgeball league for a few years. I don't know if those things existed before the modern I'm sure dodgeball existed before the internet, okay? But uh, these adult sports leagues are being more popular than ever before. Some of you are like in adult, uh, you know, soccer leagues or hockey like Ben, right? All of these small niche little communities are popping up, and they're all very unique. And the church is a part of that, but just one part of that. And it used to be that the church was like, you know, the hub of the community. The church kind of had a monopoly in years past over creating community. In the public square, people would go to church primarily for community. And that's just not that way anymore. There's so many different options. And so I think we'll continue to see big mega churches become a thing of the past, and churches will continue to shrink and decline I don't think they're going away, but I, th- I think we'll continue to see churches become smaller and more niche, like this church, right? We're kind of a very s- small and niche community for people with a specific set of interests. I think that's kind of the way of the future. We are meeting a need in this increasingly fractured and lonely world. But I think our purpose goes far beyond that. And I'm, I'm talking specifically now about our unique purpose here at Central. I think we provide a unique and valuable community to people who are in deconstruction. That's one of the things that makes this community and our mission really unique. That we provide a valuable community for people in deconstruction, meaning people coming out of you know, conservative evangelical faith traditions and questioning their beliefs and and leaving behind the faith of their youth, right? People in deconstruction. We provide a unique community for people in deconstruction. We offer deconstruction and reconstruction here. Sometimes it feels like just deconstruction. But it's really deconstruction and reconstruction, I think. We also are a unique kind of niche community because we, I think, offer a valuable community to the LGBTQ community. We all, most of us here, are aware of just how awful the church has treated the LGBTQ folks. And we provide a very unique p- space of healing and hope and renewal for that community. That's one of the things that makes Central really unique. That's, that's really part of the core mission of this church, to provide a, a community that is healing and hopeful for those in deconstruction, those recovering from religious trauma, and specifically for the Christian LGBTQ community. But you know, none of that can happen unless people show up. None of that happens unless people actually show up. Since we're such a small community, you just being here on a Sunday morning is actually a deep kind of encouragement to those who feel very lost and very alone because of deconstruction or, or some kind of religious trauma. There's something we pastors call the ministry of presence. And it's a term we all need to be familiar with. The ministry of presence. Now when pastors usually talk about the ministry of presence, we're talking often about sitting and being with people who are grieving the loss of a loved one or someone who's near death themselves and the idea is simply that it's not really your words of comfort and hope at those times that are most meaningful to people it's not really you know uh, words of wisdom that matter it's simply your presence it's simply you being with someone in their suffering that matters most and i want us this applies really well to a community like this one where a lot of people in here are in a state of flux and, and feeling very lost and alone because their faith is changing or they felt brutalized by the church. I want us all to think about how we have the ministry of presence here. You just being here is an enormous encouragement to somebody new coming through those doors who feels very lost and alone. And this church has, a, as I said, a very specific ministry to that crowd. Imagine for a moment you are a gay Christian who has felt very hurt by the church, and you muster up enough courage on a Sunday morning to come to a church like this one, and yet when you arrive, nobody is here. That doesn't do much to make you feel less lost and alone. And I don't say that to guilt anybody into attending church. I swear I'm not saying it for that reason. I'm saying it to illustrate the importance of the ministry of presence. It really matters. I'm a chaplain for an assisted living home, a nursing home here in Glendale. Just being with people who are suffering is what matters. I mean, really, it's powerful stuff. And again, we are a community that that is built upon the values of, of relational and missional. And if you are looking for a way to really make a difference in the world and to help change people's lives, I promise you just showing up and occupying a space in the pew matters. When somebody is hurt and and feeling lost and alone in the world, and they look around the room and they see other people present who, frankly, are just as being honest about their own struggles, that is radically ministering. Does that make sense? You have an opportunity in being a part of this community to change people's lives and to do something missional every week just by showing up here because we're just this little radical community for that reason. So I want to encourage you with that. Um, I want to finish today with an analogy that I've shared before. It's been a couple years I checked my files, so it hasn't been that often. Uh, I've shared this before, but it bears repeating because I think it's a great illustration of why we do spiritual practice here. Is my mic cutting out? Just a little. Okay. Um, here's the analogy. Remember from the Titanic. Everybody familiar with the Leonardo DiCaprio? Who's the actress in that movie? I forget her name. Kate Winslet. Thank you. It's bothering me this morning. I couldn't remember her name. Alright, so it's, you know, the movie with Leonardo and Kate Winslet and at the end of the film when the ship is sinking, there's the string quartet playing on the deck of the ship. Right? A string quartet. People are clamoring to get on the lifeboats. People are falling over the edge into the freezing North Atlantic. All kinds of screaming kids and you've got a string quartet playing in the midst of that. Isn't that an amazing scene? And by the way, this is, I believe, historically accurate. I think this actually happened, that there was a string quartet playing on the deck. My mic is cutting out. I'm gonna switch to this one. Is that okay, Babbo? Check, ooh, that's a hot mic. All right, well, uh, we'll try this one. All right, so, The string quartet is playing as the ship is sinking. Why are they doing that? That's the question I want to ask. Why are they doing it? They should be running for their lives like everybody else, struggling to get on one of the few lifeboats. There wasn't enough lifeboats. These guys are risking their lives. And there's all kinds of kids screaming and people falling over the edge and unspeakable tragedy taking place. And they just keep playing their music. Why? You could argue and I think this is a good argument, that it was to calm people down, right? Music has a calming effect. I think that's a good argument. But underneath that, I think there was a deeper reason, a much more profound reason for them playing that music. Caputo puts it like this. It was an unconditional affirmation of life in the face of death. An unconditional affirmation of life in the midst of unspeakable tragedy. On the surface, it had nothing to do with religion, right? But underneath it, to me, this is the very act of religion and spiritual practices. A sacred practice that affirms life in the midst of suffering and death. A sacred act that dignifies and humanizes life in the midst of death. This is why we sing these songs, pray these prayers, read these scriptures, receive the Lord's Supper. It is an unconditional affirmation of life in the face of unspeakable tragedy. It is beautiful music on the deck of a sinking ship. Don't you love that? I love that. What we do here, our spiritual practices, our sacred practices are beautiful music on the deck of a sinking ship because we are all in the same boat. Life is full of trouble. We are all going to die. We don't know what happens next. We are all in various kinds of pain and grief. There's lots in each of our life. We will all drink from that cup, some more than others, but we are all struggling. And yet, there is beautiful music being played on the deck of this sinking ship. This is why we pray these prayers, sing these songs, read these scriptures, receive the Lord's Supper. It is a way of shouting yes to life. It is a way of celebrating life, in the midst of life in the world as it actually is. The fact is there are some things about life and being that we do not have words for. There are certain aspects of the human experience, the best parts of the human experience, that we do not really have words for. Think about falling in love. Think about the the love a parent has for their child or the experience of feeling overcome with awe and wonder at the beauty of nature when you're on a mountain hike or you're surfing, or you're looking up at a star-filled night sky. That feeling of just being overcome with ineffable awe and wonder. We do not have words for the depth dimension of the human experience. And yet, religion, like art, is, becomes a vocabulary for the soul. Religion, in its best, our spiritual practices are a vocabulary for the soul. A vocabulary for the depth dimension of the human experience, just like art. And in the same way that there's such a thing as bad art, (laughs) there is such a thing as bad religion. And interestingly, bad art and bad religion are often bad for the same reasons. Think about what bad art is. Bad art is dishonest. It's glib. It's shallow. That's what bad religion is as well, right? Although bad religion can also be violent and oppressive. But there's also such a thing as good religion and good art. And good art, like good religion, is good because it's honest. It's ennobling It's transcendent, it's deep. Good religion like good art is a vocabulary for our soul. These spiritual practices are a vocabulary for our soul. It is beautiful music on the deck of a sinking ship. It is an affirmation of the ineffable, unspeakable qualities of life, the sacred qualities of life. We lose so much as a species if we did away with the world religions. It would be like losing literature, or losing theater, or losing film. It would be a tragedy on unspeakable proportions. I have a, a friend who says this, in order to really understand the human condition, one must become a student of the sacred. I love that. In order to truly understand the human condition, One must become a student of the sacred. Now, this guy is an atheist. He's a PhD philosopher, got a degree from Claremont in philosophy and and classical literature. But even he understands the importance of the sacred. And then if you really want to understand the human condition, you have to understand what we ascribe as sacred. And we all need to find something sacred in this life. Woe to the person who doesn't find anything sacred. Woe to that person. We all need to find something sacred. And it can take a lot of different forms. This week is Thanksgiving, right? And many of us are gonna gather with friends and family, have a feast, right? That's sacred, right? Lots of different things can be sacred, but we all must find something sacred. Some kind of vocabulary for our soul. And this is why we do what we do here our spiritual practices. That's really, for me, the depth, dimension of it all. It is not a way of pleasing God. We don't receive the Lord's Supper and pray these prayers and read these scriptures as a way of pleasing God or trying to get saved or trying to earn treasures and crowns in heaven. That is a vulgar understanding of religion. That that is a vulgar understanding of it that needs to be—that deserves as much hate mail as it gets— This is beautiful music on the deck of a sinking ship. This is the sacred, our shared sacred meanings, our shared sacred vocabulary for our lives. I hope you see it as that.
0: Each episode of The Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here is this week's unedited discussion.
2: Um, I was just curious, I hope this isn't, uh, I hope you don't think this is kind of going off topic, but just even coming to the church for the last like few years or so, the transformation has been quite a lot and I was curious what you think ahead the next few years, like from what you just described it being now, what you think the next few years will, will bring it to.
1: That's a good question. Um, I I ask myself that same question all the time. (laughs) The staff, the the board of directors, that's that's a a principal question. Um, In short, I don't know, but I do, if I had to guess, I think what we're doing here will just continue on, you know, because we are that community that is, I think, really open-minded and just honestly, like, I'll tell you, okay, so now that I have a chance to think about it, one of the things I really think we're going to continue to develop and grow in is our sense of social awareness and organizing, I think, you know, for social action. I really hope we become a community more focused on what it actually means to live out this Christ-like ethic in the world and in the, in, in the systems of our lives, I guess, and in our communities. What does it mean for us to be people of justice? I think if if, you know, all we are is just a radical, you know, Post-evangelical community of of questions and you know questioners and doubters. That's that's good, but that can't be the fulfillment of who we are. The fulfillment of who we are are people that actually you know go out and live this out socially, ethically, politically. Um, I I feel like I'm already changing my talks up here to be less about deconstruction and more about how do we actually live out this Christ-like ethic in our lives and, you know, again, it's not so much about beliefs anymore, right? Whether it's unbelief or belief, it's not its not about beliefs here. It's about how are we living? How are we living out, you know, love and, and living out of the spirit, so to speak? That, that, for me, is becoming more the focus here, kind of the social aspect of what we do. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Somebody else. Um, Isabel, or, I'm sorry, then Nathan well, the mic's uh, already over there okay we'll we'll start over here. I
3: have one. I would just also add to what you were saying that um, a lot of the changes and developments in the church have in this church have come from our members and attenders who are passionate about things or who um, have issues yeah. that are close and dear to their heart because as a group of a small community, we do rally uh, around each other yes, so like I say that it, our, the church will continue to develop as our membership and attendership like grows and develops and changes and things like that.
1: Thank you, Desiree. Yeah, we're a very flat community in a lot of ways, meaning there's not a, a profound hierarchy here. So leadership really does come from, from the membership. Okay, the, Isabel. Nathan, did you also have something? Or Oh, I thought, okay. You're good.
4: Yeah, this is just to further build on that conversation. I'm a huge advocate for kids because I work in the public school system. Yeah. And I think I've shared uh, that it's corrupt and uh, completely biased towards people of color or any, any different learning needs and whatnot. So, um, I've, I've started my quiet campaign of rebellion. <laughs> it's not so quiet. Um, I, I used to be what I call a happy heckler. So, you know, like, they should, they could, blah, blah, blah. In the last mm, three to six months, I've taken on more of a role. I I call myself the reluctant leader. So I've stepped into more of a leadership position at my school and in my district. Um, And just to give an example, um, you know, words matter. I'm an English teacher, and so how we talk about kids matters. So if you're talking about a kid with autism, they're a kid first, and then they're you know, challenge or disability comes second. Even something, in sim- or an English learner um, is a student first and learning a language is what they're working on, you know? And so even simple things of how you relate. Last night I was out uh, um, uh, with someone important to me and, and he was talking about his son who, who um, has autism and he was just really struggling with that. I said, you know what? He's a kid first, yeah. you know? and And I think for him, His son is seven, and he's dealing with a lot of challenges at the school that he's attending, Um, and he's so struggling with that. But just changing that, sometimes it's a subtle shift, and it goes back to what you were saying, that we all work in places in our lives that we can affect that change. So it's not like the system, but it's that little piece of it.
1: Thanks, Isabel, Isabel, thank you. There's somebody else, Uh, Colin. And Steve, thanks for helping me with the mic. Wait for it. (laughs) We, gotta, um, we use the mic because this is a podcast, everybody. I try to remind everybody about that. So, you are, if you are using the mic, you are on the recorded podcast, and your voice is going out across the world.
0: Uh, so, this is a, a slight, cha- or a, a pretty dramatic change of topic. But okay. it goes back to something you said at the beginning. Um, I'm curious for your uh, non cynical take, if there is one, on why. Non what take, sorry? Cynical. Cynical. I'm not cynical, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, as to why um, so many churches uh, on their websites, when they list their beliefs or values or whatever word you would want to, to uh, describe them as, actually don't do so in a way that make it possible for anybody looking at the website to know what people in that church actually do believe or value. Uh, I feel like almost every church uses code words that are so, yes. so bland that it is impossible to know ahead of time whether you would be welcome in that church or not or what they actually believe. And I'm curious as to why you think that, that is.
1: Yeah, th- I th- there's a few reasons for that. I think there's a lack of substantive thought, a, lo- a lack of critical thinking about it because it's just rote. It's like, even when we started here 10 years ago, Colin, I mean, honestly, we had a list of doctrines and beliefs. And they were that boilerplate list that all churches seem to have. You know, here's what we believe about the Bible. Here's what we believe about the Trinity. Here's what we believe about, you know, um, heaven and hell, the afterlife. Here's what we believe about the atonement, meaning atonement theory regarding why Jesus died on the cross. Here's what we believe about the resurrection. We had all that. Um, and, and again, it was boilerplate. You could look up any church and you'd find those. Um, but again, I, I won't go, in and go into the evolution of how we got away from that. Um So I I think it's because it just feels right. I think that's why people do it. It feels natural. It feels like this is what's important. And I think what happens is people confuse beliefs with values. I think that's really what it gets down to. Because even in some of the most conservative, frankly, mean churches, they'll say, God is love, and we believe that. We believe God is love. But how they define love, actually, in their practices, or frankly, even in their theology, is... God's love includes damnation and hell for un- unbelievers and for, you know, pe- practicing gay people. You know, so there, it, it basically comes down to a few different things. The reason why they list that is because it's a lack of critical thinking. It just feels right. Um, and it's just confusion between beliefs and values. And actually, I had a friend this week who pointed out to me, because I posted about this on Facebook. I don't know if anybody saw that. It's fine if you didn't, um, but he said to me, "He's like, no, no, no. Every church is grounded in their values. So it's not that your church is not your church is grounded in its, you know, centered around beliefs are centered around values and its practices. But actually, even even the most conservative of church that has a list of beliefs on their website, that's really their values. You know, that they value biblical orthodoxy over." including LGBT people. Does that make sense? They, they value you know, orthodoxy, a kind of theology over you know, political action or something like that. Uh, so, I mean, even they are motivated. This is a confusing topic because beliefs and values can be somewhat synonymous. Yeah, say
0: they value self-righteousness. But. They,
1: yeah, exactly. They value self-righteousness. Or you could argue that they really value racism and white supremacy and nationalism. The cross and the flag are up on the stage together. There's their values. It's nationalism. Of course, they would never admit that so I mean the, the difficulty is that this is a bit of a nuanced conversation but I'm trying you asked me to answer in a non-cynical way I think I've done I think I've done that I think I've done did, have I done that I don't know have I done that uh, it's difficult listen the, the no reason why we're having this conversation and it's a little confusing because it, it's difficult and most churches don't want to do this I mean it's hard and it's and it's anxiety ridden right it creates anxiety we're cool with that but a lot of you know A lot of churches aren't. Okay. Uh, Charles? Thanks, Steve.
3: Uh, Just going off of that last question. um, So myself, like a lot of other people here, uh, I grew up in the deep south. So going to a lot of uh, very conservative churches.
1: What was the tradition you came from? I'm curious.
3: Uh, Baptist. Yeah, but, Southern
1: Southern Baptist. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
3: so, like, I, so I've been to a lot of Baptist churches, or um, uh, just you know, super conservative churches, and they never specifically like on the LGBT, um, the their stances on LGBT uh, acceptance in the church. None of them will advertise like on their website, you know, that they are against LGBT people you know because I feel like on some level they know that that is like not right <laughs> well they know it
1: sounds bad yeah I, they, I wouldn't I wouldn't I think that's what it is but go ahead sorry yeah, yeah
3: I mean they they know that it sounds bad like I uh, we went to a church in Savannah you remember um, and they they never talked about LGBT stuff right. Until one day they had like a Q and A, and someone brought it up, and they're like, "Well, we as a church, we we think that the Bible, you know, it says that the that LGBT is wrong and homosexualism is wrong, like, yeah, and the and otherwise, like we like the church, but it was like there was like this kind of shame attached to what they were saying, because I felt like, oh, they they kind of know that this isn't yeah. what." Or maybe, maybe they just know that they would be shamed in the real world i don 't know
1: yeah, no you listen, these are the difficult social psychological uh, you know dynamics of 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 doing church, and why, even in conservative church settings, if you actually have to talk about what 's believed it 's kind of a shame for it it 's kind of like. Yeah, this is kind of who we are, and it's kind of messed up. But anyway, praise the Lord. You know, they changed the subject. <laughs> you know, um, but you're absolutely right to point that out, Charles, because, again, this gets down to how even often in those settings, what they claim to believe isn't actually how they live, so it isn't actually what they believe. So even though they would claim to be a loving and welcoming church and that they believe God calls them to that, they don't actually believe it because they don't live it, Right? So, I mean, your beliefs live in your actions, not in your head, actually. That's what Peter Rollins says, and that's what you know, we've tried to embody here at the church at Central, right, is our beliefs live in our actions. Our beliefs are not, you know, intellectual properties and propositions that we, you know, emote certainty in. No, actually, our beliefs, if we want to know what you really believe, look at, look at the way you live. How do you treat your neighbor? That, you know, Pete loves to say, uh, when people ask him, do you deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Pete says, I, I absolutely deny it. I deny it every time that I turn my back on the poor. When I turn my back on somebody, I can help. Every time I turn my back on somebody, I could help. I am absolutely denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I also affirm it every time that I do the opposite. So he's articulating a way of that, that, and I think a very Christ-like gospel way of understanding belief, that to believe in Jesus, to believe in Jesus is to be a person of love and justice and someone who's invested in the well-being of others. Jesus never meant that people should emote certainty and supernatural truth claims about his life story. He never meant that, in my opinion, in my reading. Jesus believed in Matthew 7, what it meant to believe in him was a way of living in the world as his disciple, meaning his ethic of how we live with each other. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great religious things in your name, cast out demons and prophesy? And he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. For it's not those who call me Lord that will inherit the kingdom, but only those who do the will of my Father. And in the same chapter, Matthew 7, he tells us what the will of the Father is. Do unto others as you would have them, you know, do unto you. It's really not difficult, but that's, that's Christian belief. But anyway, I'm getting, I'm, this is another sermon. I don't want to do that. We, we need to have a couple more questions, maybe, um, or, or responses, comments. Nathan? No, 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 what?
2: Aaron's... No, I, Actually, um, I do want to bring up one more, thing. I think we, because we talk about this a lot on the board. and Yeah, as Nathan's an elder, by the way. Is is the kids that we now have in our congregation, how do we raise, I don't have any kids, but I'm, I'm talking the conversations with you. What does it mean to raise children uh, yeah. so that they don't have this fear of a God that might send them to hell someday with that anxiety? But how do we teach the Bible in a way and, and, and give them a biblical literacy that... That creates deep spiritual roots and practices. And yeah. Asks the questions and leans into the mystery and helps people be filled with love of God and love of people. And 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 so I think no, there's not a lot of examples of that out there. Like we're trying to figure that out. We're May's doing an incredible job. Down May is doing
1: an incredible job at that. Yeah. But we're definitely on a but frontier. Yeah. We're on a frontier. At, you're absolutely right. And I don't have the answers. For I'm, I'm raising a two and a half year old right now, and I'm I don't know.
2: Yeah. But that's part of, like, what, is it, what are we doing in the next few years? Like, we welcome the people from the outside while also trying to raise up what the yeah. next generation might look like.
1: I hope, when I think about Lucy, my daughter, I hope that I instill into her an, a deep appreciation for my faith, for this. Whether or not she goes to church her whole life is beside the point. Whether or not she is an atheist or a theist to me is actually even beside the point. For me, I want her to find something that's sacred and meaningful for herself, but I also want her to respect what's sacred and meaningful for me and for for my wife and I. Does that make sense? And that, to me, is what's most important. I, would, I, to be honest, would love it if she found a home in the church her whole life. You know, and, But honestly, it's not really about that for me. I just want her to feel like she has something sacred and holy that she can invest herself into and respect what others find sacred and holy that's that 's what I hope for our children um, okay, Cory, and then we 'll finish with Muriel, so Cory first he 's over there oh yeah
5: so um, yeah, this talk was really uh, helpful in some ways, and i I maybe want some clarity, but I want to bring up like uh what I hope a lot of other people struggle with when describing this church to friends and family. Um, <laughs> I think on one end, you have people who are like still very enmeshed in either because they are very conservative or because of guilt and shame, they're enmeshed in kind of the more traditional um, views of going to church. and. I think for that side, I have a little bit easier of a time because I'm so cynical and critical. It's like, well, like you forget about social justice and you forget about inclusion and you forget about just like thoughtful meditation. And so that's for me a little easier to like describe the church to yeah. a more conservative um, or enmeshed person. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, I have so much trouble with people who have given up on the church um, and who who so for someone who's in mesh, they're like, oh, tell me about your church. And I'm like, get ready. And on, <laughs> yeah, you can hit those bullet points really easily. Yeah. yeah, and on the flip side, someone's like, oh, you still go to church? Hmm. And, uh, you know, I want to I want to say, no, there's hope in the church, and there's hope in the community of believers. And there are, th- like, Jesus, uh, the values that he is encouraging in his life and death is, like, profound. And I, I want to encourage my friends who have for many good reasons dropped out of the church and I think there are bits in in this conversation that are helpful um, but I also you know I'm, I don't think I'm alone in kind of that dichotomy of these two groups of people so I, I'm curious what you think about especially people who have given up on the church how to condense your talk to an encouragement an encouragement instead of kind of a, a deconstruction and re- reclaiming um, yeah, I, I could yeah, keep going about this. But. I,
1: I, th- I, think, I think focus simply on what you get positively out of this experience, being part of this, a community like this one. Um, you know, we, again, that's part of the reason why I want us to be more socially active. And, in, in, you know, doing things like Atalanta, like we did, you know, a few months ago by canceling service here and going holding service outside the ICE detention center. You know, I, I think people want to be part of a community that is actually socially active, you know, beyond just doing drives, right, for, for the homeless or something. Those are very important, too. We do that. So I I think focus on that. I think focus on, you know, I love that analogy of the string quartet on the Titanic. I I really, and just being a part of a radical community like this one, where every single Sunday there's somebody new walking through that door who's in a state of deconstruction and feeling very lost and alone, and just physically being here with them. Just in in a tiny community like this one, just a handful of people showing up to be here with them, makes them feel less lost and alone, and gives them a place to call home where they can discover God anew and find new healing, new hope. I I think emphasizing the the importance of just participating in a small radical community like this one is powerful. I, I don't know, you can't sell somebody on it. It's not up to you to convince them, like, here's why you should find it important too. Because ultimately, shared Spiritual practices are sacred, but they're not the only thing that's sacred. Well, other people, we can find other things that are sacred to do outside these four walls, and should. So it's not about selling people on this, but talk about specifically that what you find sacred about this. And that's what matters most to somebody who wants to, you know, hear her about it. Does that help? Love it. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks. Let's finish with uh, Mario, and then and then Carrie. We'll get two more. I'm really glad you guys want to have a discussion about this.
6: <laughs> Hello. Hello. Um, I just want to say how much I appreciate this church. Um, I grew up in Texas and everything. And I went to sort of, I remember I always went to the contemporary service of like a really big church. But I never felt like I could express everything to them, even while growing up and even when I went back to Texas and everything. I mean, being a black female lesbian is not something that I shared in church. And here, right. I feel like I can share that. I mean, even the the experience of being gay, the experience of being black, and the experience of being female, and it's so open here. And I don't feel like that's all it's about, though, either, because I also, when people ask me, like, what church do you go to? And I tell them, and I'm like, you know, and they, they ask me, like, you know, just different questions. Like, if they are if, if they know that I am gay or whatever, they ask me, like, are they cool with that? I'm like, totally. And I'm like, but at the same time, I've always been like, but I never want to go to a gay church because I've gone to gay churches. I don't know if anybody understands what I'm saying. And it's like that's what they're centered around, and that's what brings them together because it's a gay church, and it's not the, the doctrine and, and, and everything is sort of around that, and it's about, like, it's just too much. Sure. Um, <laughs> and and here, even like the combination, even the fact that we talk about the correlation of different religious religions and faiths and how everything is sort of, in my opinion, the same. Um, dating people from different religions, it's just like, I don't know. It's, it, it's just like a yay for this church. I guess that's what I'm trying uh, to thanks. say. Thanks, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, thanks, yeah. Um, just... It's, it's so comfortable here. And I've been to so many places that I might like their music, or I might like the pastor or whatnot, but it's still there's still this little twinge of not being comfortable, completely comfortable. And I think that's one thing that this church has. People can be comfortable here no matter where they're coming from or what their background is. So yeah, that's, I guess that's all I wanted to say.
1: <laughs> Thank you for saying that. That's, it was really meaningful for me to hear. Thank you. All right, we're gonna finish with Carrie. Hi, I just kind
7: of wanted to speak to what you were kind of saying, um, and just say that I started coming maybe a little over a year ago, and I didn't think prior to that I would ever go to church again in my life. And one of the reasons why I found this church was almost really, because I didn't even believe that it would exist. I sort of like start searching for something that I thought didn't exist. My son started going to a Christian high school, and they had encouraged you know, that he attend church. He's not here with me today because <laughs> he goes to church every week there. Um, <clears throat> but in doing so, I felt like if I'm gonna bring him to church, I really needed to find something that was in line with my core values. And I searched and searched and searched online and read your website, and, um, which is what brought me here. And I think that there are so many people in LA that just don't know. That would really, really find so much value in coming here. And, and over the last year since I've been coming, I've told many friends and some have come. And yes. I've had maybe, I don't know, five or six friends. Some of them it took like a year of, and not pushing. I'd just be like, we talk about our values. You know, I think we all tend to talk about our values with our friends and say like, wow, you really need to come here because this is the conversation that we're having here. And then finally they do start to show up and um, it feels great to be able to share that with people. So I don't know why I'm...
1: No, thank you. Commentary. Well, it's important to hear. Thank you to both you and, and Mariel for sharing your feelings about that. <laughs>